We did it like that and now we do it like this. We did it like that and now we do it like this. <laughs> yeah. Now clock kids who got the cocaine. Don't tell me it's the little kids on soul train. The metaphor sent from my brain to my jaw. It comes from other places. Not the tinted faces. Journalistic values are yellow and then of course. It's from downtown. Episode 17. This is the anti-vax episode or the pro-vax episode or it's just the it's all things vac- vaccinations i'm nevin brown and as always i'm joined by james piercy feeling like you might have oversold uh, how prominently we're going to focus on on vaccinations in this episode but i love it i mean you know i just i figured i figured i would give a, the vaccination part a boost before everyone has to get their booster shots here in the u.s even though i'm actually the whole booster shot thing is it's a whole it's a whole nother can of worms um but let's get let's get right into a a very loud proponent of not getting the vaccine who just got himself a lot of money from his team so they they locked themselves into five years and 207 million dollars of michael porter jr claiming i'm just gonna keep getting covid until i die um, before I get a vaccine, I saw that on Twitter and that, that really cracked me up. The, the guy was like, it was just like, man, this dude really just said, I'm going to get it till I die, <laughs> which is amazing. And also kind of true, but let's, let's, let's put the pandemic aside, even though there's real likelihood that COVID is something that's here to stay for and become like the common cold or, you know, the flu season, Michael Porter Jr., his five-year extension. Good deal, bad deal. What, what's your feeling on it? Let me say this. Kevin Porter Jr. may continue to My, get COVID-19. Michael Porter. Damn, son. I almost said that makes me want to start all over, man. I, I... <laughs> we start the whole episode over. <laughs> all right, let's keep it. Let's keep it raw for the people. Uh, I'm, I'm a Rockets fan, so I, I got KPJ on the mind. But uh, what I was going to say is that Michael Porter Jr., May continue to get COVID-19, but he's also going to continue to get buckets. Personally, I'm a fan of this signing. I really think that the Denver Nuggets' hands were tied in this situation. They can't afford to have Michael Porter Jr. leave, head to another team, and it's like a James Harden with the Oklahoma City Thunder situation, you know? And and I really think Michael Porter Jr. has that kind of ceiling. Uh, He's 6'10", pristine jump shooter can get a shot off over anybody looks like a perennial threat to score 25 points a night in the 50 40 90 club i love his game i think he's a perfect fit with nikola Jokic because he brings that pure scoring punch that that works so well with, with Jokic's playmaking i think denver have a right to feel like they're potentially building a future dynasty here and i think michael porter jr has the potential to be very much a part of that Obviously, there are durability concerns with the kid. He, he's had a hard time staying healthy even early in his career. But I think you've just got to take the risk because you're not going to find – the Denver Nuggets aren't going to find a, a Michael Porter Jr. replacement on the open market. Like the, the, Such a thing doesn't really exist if he hits even 85% of his ceiling. And he seems happy there. He seems to like playing with Nikola. I, I'm all in on the signing. It, it, it's a lot of money for a guy that might not stay on the floor, but I'm all in. What do you think? I mean, as a basketball player, I think he's awesome. I mean, and also the durability concerns 
are there, but I think people act like the durability concerns are present right now and they're not like the dude was hurt in college and then there's reports that some like some guy works for espn now um, who's in a front office was like the doctor said this is the worst medical i have ever seen and that's true maybe that was true i don't know and maybe the doctor just was like to do this thing that humans do sometimes called hyperbole like, I think the durability things are real, but I also think it's a little overstated. He didn't play his rookie season, and then he didn't really start the season, his, you know, his his real rookie season when he was actually playing, played 55 games in a 72-game season. So, you know, played a lot of the percentage of the games. Then he umps it to 61 with 54 starts, playing 30 minutes a night, and again, a 72-game season. So, yeah, like, is he a guy who I'm like, I think he's going to be playing 82 games a season. Probably not. But I also think the like, oh, he's his durability. Like, it seems like the back is good enough that he can probably give you 60 to 70 games. And at this stage in NBA history, getting 60 to 70 games from an awesome player is like kind of like par for the course. The other thing, though, that I will say is this deal, I feel really bad for the Nuggets that Jamal Murray is injured. Because the criteria in the deal is it becomes a $207 million contract. Only if Porter Jr. reaches the designated max criteria this season. Which means he's named to like one of the three all NBA teams. If Jamal Murray wasn't there or Jamal Murray was there, I don't know if he'd get enough shots to make one of the all NBA teams. But now that Murray's not there, like how many shots did he take last season? He's taken 13 and a half shots per game. I think that's going to easily be, what, 18 to 20. And if you score 19 points on 13 shots, which like when you say it out loud, you're like, of course you give this dude the max. 19 points on 13 field goal attempts is absurd. I mean, he's like, he's probably going to be a 25 point game a score. Like, I just don't see any other way how he's not. I mean, this deal you give 10 times out of 10. He's young. He's giant. And he probably will have, like, there's a very good chance he has multiple 50, 40, 90 seasons. And, I mean, I really think he's also just scratching the surface. I mean, this guy is 116 games in his career, 62 starts into his career. He hasn't played big minutes yet. So, like, I love it from a basketball standpoint. Here's another thing I think about the signing, right, is that it, it kind of boils down to opportunity cost. So, if you're the Denver Nuggets – which of these two outcomes do you think is worse? One, you give Michael Porter Jr. this contract and injuries decimate his career and he can't live up to it and he never stays on the floor and it ends up being a really bad contract. Two, you don't give Michael Porter Jr. this contract and he signs with a different team eventually and he's a perennial all-NBA player, you know, lives up to his ceiling, is a superstar and you're left with nothing personally i would take option one i think it's better to swing and miss than than not swing so i i think that's a great way to put it there's another layer that people don't think about you know most teams have insurance policies on these contracts barring injury so like the whole oh he could get injured and like denver like you know like it, they'll just have this big contract and he's injured and they won't it's like yeah but they have like injury insurance for these things so like 
from the ownership group's perspective, it's it's like really like a no lose. The guy gets hurt and you probably are collecting insurance payments that are offsetting the contract you're paying. So it's almost like whatever. And you're right. The downside is he leaves and he's awesome. And so it's like, basically it's like, do we lock this guy up and potentially have a championship core for the next five seasons with Jokic, him, hopefully a relatively similar Murray and Aaron Gordon. Do we, do we do that? Or do we not? Cause like, even if it gets hurt, like I'm sure they're collecting insurance on Jamal Murray, right? Like people forget about like the, like other financial components of contracts and if you factor that in, it's like, there's no downside signing an injury prone guy. It's, it's like, there's, it's kind of a reason why like teams do it almost like they just don't, there's the downside with insurance makes it much less. And maybe he's an expensive guy to insure because of the back, but like, still like you would just do that. Yeah, I agree. L- let me ask you this question. Three years from now, assuming that both players are healthy, who do you think is Jokic's second banana? Michael Porter Jr., or Jamal Murray, because I'll tell you, I think it's Michael Porter Jr. And I think that's scary because I'm high on Jamal Murray. Like, like that is a, that is a scary good team. You know, that's a good question because Michael Porter Jr. Is not a good defensive player. He, he has shown significant improvements and he has the size where you go, okay, well, like he has a ceiling as a defensive player because of his size. That's like pretty good. So, and if he keeps showing improvement, maybe he does become like a, maybe not like a two-way force, but like he's pretty good on defense, which if you can shoot like him is more than enough. You know, I think he'll always be a player that we probably think is slightly better than he really is just unless he develops like a handle and a passing ability because he is at this state and like at this stage, he's literally just, an amazing jump shooter. And that's great. Like that he's so amazing as a jump shooter. He's basically an all NBA caliber player because he is a great jump shooter. And so if he adds components to his game, which is, which is very possible, I would, I would agree with you that I think it's likely that it's going to be him over Murray because I think Murray has been a little bit overrated because of great playoff series. And I still think he's a great player, but like there is, there's, is a world where, and also there's a world where he develops those skills and they're just not leaned into it all because you have Jokic and Murray already to do ball handling and playmaking. But there's a world where like those skills don't really come along. And he's just like Kevin Durant, like 85% of Kevin Durant. And, but like, he's the same level type of level of like a shooter slash score. And so people think he's like Kevin Durant level, but yeah, I agree with you. If you, if you said Nevin three years from now, who's a better player barring like you know injury situations for both of them now it's gotta be michael porter jr i mean i I said it he scored 19 points a game on 13 fucking shots and this is and he only got to the free throw line 2.2 times like he's there's an avenue for him quite easily to be a 30 point game a score and at 610 you just like you know i mean come on yeah, it's interesting to think about his development that way. You're you're right that he could he could use a handle, like a stronger handle, maybe some moves, a, de- a deeper bag of of moves. Like he's a little bit underdeveloped offensively. You're right that he's primarily just an amazing jump shooter, uh, and the type of jump shooter that can can get difficult shots off on defenders. Right, like he's he's not not just a floor spacer. He's not 
not a Kyle, not a six ten Kyle Korver, but he is a little bit lacking in those areas. And now the question is going to be: Will he develop in those areas? Given that he doesn't really need to, given the presence of Jokic and Murray, it's going to be interesting to see. So I think this season without Murray is actually going to be super good for his long-term development, just because they're going to probably need him to do more different things. And that, that to me is going to be good because as soon as Murray comes back, it's like, Hey, like we don't need you to probably ever really dribble a basketball. (laughs) Um, I mean, like that's like a kind of a crazy concept for a player as good as him, but it's like, he might never need to really dribble. Like in some ways he's like a six ten clay Thompson to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, minus the defense, but like, you know, I, I think he could become a pretty good defensive player depending on his health and like his commitment level there. And the other thing is like, if he doesn't have to like dribble playmake, he's just really like a catch and shoot guy. His defense could be really good just because he he's not expending a ton of energy on offense. I love the contract. I love what the nuggets are doing. I thought they were going to win the championship last year and then Murray got hurt and that kind of fucked them. But you do this deal the dude could say not only am i not getting the covid vaccine i'm gonna like inject myself with cancer and i would still give him the extension (laughs) i i I might hesitate if he was going to inject himself with cancer but thankfully that's that doesn't seem to be in the plans i don't also know if that's possible but like (laughs) go to google four four thumbs up here on, on the michael porter jr extension oh yeah it's great Let's take a second, think back, think back. Think Brooklyn, back. traveling distance to party. Brooklyn, absolute functions, not hardly. Brooklyn, the name alone holds godly. You don't know, you better ask somebody. But let's talk about Michael Porter Jr.'s new team. <laughs> yes, that's right. Michael Porter Jr., while a member of the Denver Nuggets, also has a chance, and I think, I think the NBA needs to do this, to create the NBA all- anti-vax team and we're talking about a powerhouse squad we're talking about a team with Kyrie Irving we're talking about a team with Bradley Veal we're talking about a team with Andrew Wiggins okay so maybe not all powerhouse players we're talking about a team with Jonathan Isaac Dwight Polite Howard and of course Michael Porter Jr. okay I think this needs to be asked would this team win the championship in two situations. If this team existed and the version of themselves on their current team still was there. So Kyrie would still be on the nets and be on the all anti-vax team. Or would this team win the championship if you had to take them from their teams and put them on the anti-vax team. So Kyrie wouldn't be on the nets. So in both of these scenarios, do you think this team wins the championship? In scenario A, I absolutely don't think so, honestly. I, I, I think this is an excellent team that's going to contend. Uh, there's, there's really no room for debate on that. But I think that if, if Kyrie remains with the Brooklyn Nets as well as uh, being you know, duplicated to play on, on the NBA's anti-vax team, I think that the Brooklyn Nets probably outgun this team. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about the front court spacing Jonathan Isaac hasn't really proven a consistent three-point shooter yet in his career. The uh, the defense is impenetrable. Like the, the the rim protection between him and Howard is is stifling. Now, obviously, of course, we also need to be thinking about 
like this isn't a 14 deep roster. So it's a little bit hard to call in that way. Like, can they get a floor spacer at the five? Can we get a backup five who's against the COVID-19 vaccination as soon as possible, please? Maybe maybe a Kelly Olenek or Dwayne Dedman, you know? Hey, you know, I'm sure you can go find a pretty decent player in like the Serbian league. There's like, you know. Yeah, they might, right. (laughs) Also, you have Porter Jr. Porter Jr. is on this team. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, there's, there's like, you could run him at the four and Isaac at, Isaac the, five. at the five. And yeah. then you're talking about, I mean, Kyrie Beal, Wiggins, Porter, Isaac. It's a hell of a team. Let me tell you about my second concern with this team. There is no playmaking. Nobody on this team likes passing. There's a lot of ball sticking between Kyrie Beal, Wiggins and Michael Porter jr. It's like, well, there's not just, there's not enough shots to go around to maximize all those guys. So it's not an ideal roster construction either. I still think they're a devastating team. And I will say that if you take these players off their teams, like in the second hypothetical, they got a really good chance at the NBA championship for sure. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the, Laker, the Lakers would still give them trouble, I think. Well, no, the Lakers would be losing Dwight Howard. Oh, no. <laughs> they'll, 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 they'll make that up somewhere. The heart and soul of their team. You know what? It is very interesting that none of these guys are very good passers because you you would think a team a team full of guys who love to take shots they would be okay with taking the two shots or the one shot that actually really matters this season. Um, so that's always fun when you get to make that joke. So do you think do you think that Michael Porter Jr., Kyrie, and Beal? as like the basis of an offense. Do you think that could lead the league offensively as like an offensive rating? Cause I actually really do. I mean, just the amount of spacing they create for each other, it would just, I mean, God, Jonathan Isaac would average 50 points a game on lobs. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I kind of think the current Brooklyn nets are, are likely to have a better offensive rating because they've got a guy who likes to stir the drink in, in James Harden. Right. Um, I, th- I think that's that's going to be a big fundamental difference between these two teams is just having a guy that that's going out there uh, just as happy to get 10 dimes as he is to get 30 points. They, and, and this team doesn't have that. All right. Well, this was a fun little brain teaser. The, I guess the final thing I would say is where where would, where should this team play? Like if you had to pick a city that most embodied the all anti-vax notion, what, like what city do you think? this team should be it can't be a canadian city because they wouldn't be able to get in or out of the country <laughs> yeah so i mean uh, florida already has two teams right so it's a little bit uh the maybe the, the the tampa bay anti-vaxxers Ooh, or there's jacksonville wouldn't be bad yep um, what, what do you think you know texas has three teams but texas would be good oklahoma has a team you know arkansas has been really 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 anti-vax kind of shitty so what about we we, what about we we put them on a remote island there's got to be some space somewhere in the virgin islands or something called the the free state anti-vaxxers Ooh, that that's not a bad that's not a bad shout that's not a bad shout i think they'd like it I'm i'm sure they would i feel like i feel like guys that are this an- are still anti-vax at this stage they're like they're just mentally always on island time like they're just like a little bit yeah. like disconnected to like what's really going on but yeah no i think yeah let's let's send them to the virgin the u.s virgin islands and 
let's see how it goes. You know, Tim Duncan could coach the team for him. Willing to bet Tim Duncan is not an anti-vaxxer, hey? <laughs> like, I'm, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm willing to bet. Yeah, it seems like everyone that gets close or is associated with Greg Popovich has, like, ends up not being, not doing shit that is this stupid. I don't know if it's just because, like, he's a good communicator or because he's smart or if he's just, like, one of the few NBA coaches that has enough juice to literally go to a player and actually tell them stuff and not have a player go to the general manager or owner and be like, you know, I don't like that the coach is pushing me around. Yeah, it might it might be that. Duncan, I, I sure will agree, is a highly intelligent guy in his own right, I think. Um, but Pop is certainly that as well. And they, they've always had a good organization over there. Uh, they feel like a pro-vax group, you know? They just, I mean, not, not, not to reveal my own politics on the matter too much, but... Spoiler alert, I, I have I have the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, let's uh real quickly just talk about the the whole issue we have with a lot of these NBA players, even the vaccinated ones. This notion that's been it's unfortunately, I don't think this is the actual feeling that most people have in the NBA slash most people that have been vaccinated. But the thing that people are comfortable saying to the media, because I feel like they think it doesn't piss off the other side of the spectrum and sorry, other side of the spectrum, fuck you. The it's a personal choice crowd. Yeah, I guess it is, but you know, it's also a personal choice playing in the fucking NBA. You don't have to do it. You really don't. It's a personal choice. You can just go play pickup spreading COVID out on the streets. That's up to you. The personal choice shit. Draymond green said it. And then LeBron's like, I couldn't have said it any better myself, like commenting on the the video in a tweet. And it's like, guys, it is a personal choice. But so is, you know, shooting someone. Exactly. So my beef with the personal choice argument is that it is not a self-regarding action. It's an other regarding action. Other people are affected. Yes, it's a personal choice, but as you alluded to, everything we do is a personal choice. So it, it, it's a pretty moot point to me. It's really a non-argument. I am sympathetic. Here we go, talking about the socioeconomic political implications here, but I am sympathetic to the fact that a lot of Black Americans are distrustful of government. Uh, I, I think that's very much validated and reasonable. Uh, I just, in this instance, I wish it could be different because I, I really think it's important. Yes, no, and, and and you raise a good point, and I think I think that plays a part in the vaccine hesitancy. I also think uh, Christianity. There's kind of certain sects of you know Christian Americans have become more anti-vax over time, and I believe that's kind of one of the situations with Jonathan Isaac, with Dwight Howard, uh, and Bradley Beal. And maybe even, I mean, Andrew Wiggins tried to say that. I don't, that got shut down when I don't know if that's true. And then there's kind of the Michael Porter Jr. and Kyrie Irving are in the conspiracy crowd um, because I remember Porter Jr. right when the pandemic happened was like in an interview and was like, yeah, well, like COVID like is obviously for population control. And I was like, really? <laughs> really? Like the government send this out? Like, dude, I'm not gonna lie. COVID's like hasn't done a great job of like curbing the global population. There's like over 7 billion people or something. 
it's killed 700,000 people in the US. I mean, like, it's a lot of people, but like, if you're trying to curb population, there's these things called weapons and they, they they have a little bit higher hit rate um, than COVID. But I'm not trying to undermine the dangers of COVID. Uh, no, but it's not, it's, it wouldn't be an effective method of, of population control. Yeah, I, I'm sympathetic to that. But at the same time, I go, hey, you know, this is a league where like a lot of the guys have pretty similar backgrounds and 95% of the league is vaccinated. You 5% that aren't like, you're basically saying, yeah, I'm good. And and the other thing that pisses me off is that there's, I kind of get this sense that like, there are some people that are hesitant about getting vaccinated that go, well, everyone else is like, so like, I don't need to get it. Cause like, we're like, if enough people are vaccinated, we're safe. And it's kind of just like, thanks. Like, that's such a, that's such a, oh, okay. Just, well, it just let other people in society pick up the slack. It's like, I mean, that happens a lot. There are a lot of people that do that, but it's one of these things where I feel like NBA basketball players, here's the deal. Just get vaccinated because you're going to end, like you're losing money out of this. Like, I'm sorry. When Ted Cruz comes out and supports you, if you're an NBA player, you got to be going, fuck, that's not really like on brand with any NBA player is Ted Cruz supporting you. I mean, unless like, you know, a lot of people in Arkansas start dishing out $90 to buy Kyrie Irving and Bradley Beal jerseys, which they're not going to do. They're just going to tweet nice things about you and make the people that actually like basketball dislike you a bit more. It's, it's dumb. And it's not a personal, it's not a personal choice. It's just a fuck you choice, which is fine, but just know that you're making a fuck you choice. Yeah, uh, it's uh, there's there's a a group theory dilemma. I, I can't remember what it's called, but like, essentially, it's the same idea as like anything. It's like I could just throw my garbage on the streets all the time. You know, I've got a piece of garbage on me. I could just throw it on the streets, and I could say, well, it's gonna have a minimal effect on the environment because most people don't do this. There's like, yeah, but if everybody thought that way, we'd live on a garbage planet, right? Like, the you know, why don't you take personal responsibility for for your extremely small place in the universe yeah yeah it's it's so true i mean it's also like it's such a juvenile way to think it reminds me of like when i'm in was in high school right like and you're a dumbass and you like you know like throw like kind of like garbage on the ground and people are like what are you doing i'm like hey man like there's janitor here to clean it up like you know like shit like that like that's like what you do when you're young and stupid and juvenile and like these guys are really young I was just going to say that in, in all fairness, some of these guys are young and stupid and juvenile, but not Dwight Howard, you know, at the same time, not Kyrie no, Irving. Like, Dwight Howard is juvenile. Um, and yeah, but he's, well, he's not young. That is true. He's arrested development. I don't know. No, no. I think we've spent enough time talking about COVID. Get vaccinated, y'all. If you haven't, um, if you're having trouble getting vaccinated, I sympathize with that. That's not the case for these NBA players, though. Brooklyn, traveling distance to party. Brooklyn, absolute functions that hardly. Brooklyn, the name alone holds godly. You don't know, you better ask somebody. So let's move on to something I don't think either one of us would have thought to utter even two years ago. Let's talk about the best division in basketball. The Atlantic Division. So 
before we get into the teams, is this the best division in basketball? Because it's got a real, real, real claim to it, I think. I, I think it absolutely is, man. I mean, first of all, it, it hosts the best team in basketball. The the odds on favorites to win the NBA championship, like whether you subscribe to that or not, uh, the Brooklyn Nets are pretty widely regarded as, as the championship favorites heading into the season. And then other than that, we're looking at four other teams that really have a chance to make the playoffs. Like even the team that I'm going to rank last in the division has a shot at making the playoffs this year. Well, I mean, the Raptors had the lowest over under at 37 and a half and like 38 wins has gotten teams into the playoffs before. So it's a, uh, I, I do think it's the best division in basketball. What do you think? It's really tough. The main reason why it's tough for me is I agree. I think the nets are really good. I think the Celtics are also going to be pretty good, but the Sixers I could see a situation where they're not great just because like the Ben Simmons thing, just fucking up their season. Um, and then the Knicks, how good are the Knicks? Because they're a team where I feel like if they have like one kind of shitty injury, like if Julius Randall gets hurt, misses like 20 games, like how good is this team going to be? And how good is Julius Randall going to be this year? Um, I, I, I don't have a huge amount of confidence in him in repeating what he did last season. So, yeah, that's my only trepidation. But, like, if the Sixers figure out the Ben Simmons situation where they could, like, either trade him and get, get like, a pretty decent package back slash somehow give him a lobotomy or <laughs> electroshock therapy to make him forget the last year and he comes back, then, yeah, I, I think this division is the best – in the NBA with it's at the top and then the depth, I mean, shit. And also, you know, it's one of those things where the record might not end up being like that because they have to play each other more. So they kind of cannibalize each other, but like in terms of like overall ability, I think these teams really, really got to be. So I just uh, pulled the teams and put them in order of the way they're listed on basketball reference, because I'm lazy. Um, so let's start out with the Boston Celtics because they're the first one on the list and it's easy to start at the top, top and go down. Okay. Let's go, let's go over their significant roster moves first and then kind of see what we think about the team. So they traded away Kemba Walker. They signed Dennis Schroeder and they brought back Al Horford. I think those we consider to be their three major roster moves in terms of like bringing in shipping out people. They obviously signed uh, Robert Williams and Marcus Smart to extensions. So what do you think? What do you think about the moves? Do you like that? Do you think those moves made the team dramatically better? No, I, I think that this is one of the teams in the division that didn't necessarily get dramatically better or worse. I love Al Horford. He's one of my all-time favorite players, actually. But it, it's a little hard to know what to expect from him heading into his age 35 season, right? Uh, I think they have a better platoon at the five spot than they had last year between him, Robert Williams, and Enos Cantor. But they're still lacking like a, like a seven-foot rim protector. Uh, maybe maybe Williams can make up for his for his six foot eight height, and, and maybe he just jumps high enough to play that role. But we're gonna have to see what happens when he's in a more featured role. Uh, I touched on this in a previous episode, but I think it's worth reiterating. 
I think what's really key to this team's success is going to be how Dennis Schroeder plays for them. I want to see Dennis Schroeder land a career high in, let's say, assists per 36 minutes. That, that's what I want to see from Schroeder this year. He, he's really good at driving. He's not so good at dishing. And with the talent that's around him and with the jump shooting that's around him, I think he needs to kick out more often. And I think this offense could really hum if he's willing to do that. On the other hand, a Dennis Schroeder layup isn't an excellent outcome for an offense with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown operating in it, uh, you know, here and there, of course. But I, I, I think he's got to switch his play style up a little bit this year, uh, be a bit of a pure point guard. And if he can do that, I think this can be a dangerous team. What do you, what do you think? I actually like their offseason. I think they did get significantly better. People kind of act like Al Horford is is done almost, but he just didn't play last year much in Oklahoma City. And when he did, he was he still showed a fair amount. And he's a, he's a big guy who's never been super vertical, who's very skilled, very smart. So I'm confident that in the role that I'm expecting him to asking him to have is to you know 20 30 minutes a night type of guy. I think he can still be a plus player, maybe not at his best. But then Robert Williams, like, I think he's really good. His metrics have been great. He just can't stay healthy, can't stay on the court. And he's one of these guys where if he can stay healthy, I think they have one of the best starting lineups in the Eastern Conference. And they have all their trade assets uh, in terms of they don't, I don't know if they have all, but they have a lot of trade assets. So they're in a situation too where if they're pretty good, they can like go out and get help. They should be a better defensive team than they were last year because I think uh, having Marcus Smart for the whole season and healthy will be helpful. I think having Tatum over COVID symptoms will really help. Dennis Schroeder, I agree with you. He's probably the key to their ceiling, but I don't think he's the key to their floor. And I see even with like kind of like, you know, normal Dennis Schroeder, I see this as being like, you know, a 45 plus win team. And if Schroeder is really good, they could crack 50. I, I, I don't really see that. Uh, I don't see him not being great holding them back too much. He really excelled in three-guard lineups in Oklahoma City. Granted, he was next to SGA and Chris Paul. I feel like everyone looks good next to Chris Paul. Um, so if they can figure out how to like get that magic where he's kind of a third guard in a three-guard set, which I think they have the pieces to do, I think he can be really good. And, you know, once again – one of the big things for me when I think about teams long-term in the season, it's like, can they go add stuff? And this team can go add stuff if they're pretty good. They can go add stuff if they need to. And that to me is pretty huge. Plus they'll, they'll probably trade for Bradley Beal. <laughs> I mean, it, it's definitely possible. And if they do, everybody needs to watch out. Let, let me share one little thought about Al Horford, uh, which I think, makes it hard to evaluate him heading into the season. Two years ago, he signed with the Philadelphia 76ers and they horrifically misused him. I mean, he, he didn't fit the roster anyway, but they had him playing, if I recall, over half his minutes at the four and he's never been a four. He wasn't a four in his prime. He's certainly not a four in his thirties and he had a really bad season. And, and I do think it's because he didn't fit and, and they were trying to play a style of basketball that was just bad, uh, big, slow, no spacing. Like, yeah, sounds great. And then last season, he unfortunately found himself on the thunder where he didn't play very much for 
obvious tanking related reasons. So flash forward to 2021 off season. Well, the guy's 35 now. He, he hasn't had a real NBA season in like three years. So I just think it's really hard to know what to expect from Al Horford. If he can regain some of his old form, then he could be a major plus for this team for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, I'm not banking on him being an all-star. I just like, I feel like, Hey, like, he's probably still a pretty good my feeling with older players is that especially guys that aren't reliant on their athleticism to create space for their offense i see them in these types of things where it's not hey is this guy still good like this guy still got it it's like this guy still has it if you play him under a certain minutes threshold and that's to me it's like if you play al horford under 30 minutes a night he's going to be very efficient and good in those those minutes if you're like hey al we need you to play like 36 minutes a night you're going to get diminishing returns just because like the body won't be able to hold up so when you have robert williams and al horford and Enes Cantor, like you have a pretty good front court rotation where you can kind of rotate them keep them fresh let them lean in and like Cantor is not a good defensive player but shit like you go send them out there at a second unit you toss them the ball down the paint and you're gonna average like 1.3 points her post touch and from your second unit that's great and he's a heat seeking missile when it comes to offensive board so like i don't know like to me it's like if robert williams is plays 82 not 82 robert williams plays 70 games this team i think will surprise a lot of people because he's really really good he just can't play games and minutes and you provide no value on the bench yeah we've neglected a pretty significant addition man Oh, who did uh, I forget? What did I do? You, you forgot about Josh Richardson. Is he a significant addition, though? Well, that's kind of where I'm about to go with this. So I, I was thinking about that. That's you're, you're very good. He's a significant in NBA nerd circles. He's a significant name, but I feel like is he actually a significant addition? Answer so that. let's look at his his best season in the league. Came in 2018-19, his age 25 season, as a member of the Heat. He averaged 16.6 points per game and four assists per game. He has a reputation as a defender, but he hasn't really had a great defensive rating since 2017-18 when he posted a rating of 106. Last year, his defensive rating was 114, which is, like, pretty poor. So if he could regain his defensive form... And shoot 35% from deep, which he hasn't done in two seasons. I think he could be a significant addition, but those are two pretty major ifs. Yeah. When I'm talking about guys bouncing back, I don't love having two ifs. Like one if I, I, I can like I can ride with because like, yeah, one if sounds like it makes sense. But two ifs, you start being like, well, if this dude can fly. It's like if Spider-Man could fly and if he could shoot lasers out of his eyes, he could beat Superman in a fight. It's like, okay, cool. Um, he can't do either one of those things and probably won't be able to do both. I, 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 think, I think you're right. He could be an X factor and he could be a significant addition. I kind of left him off just because I felt like we've seen enough the last two seasons to be like, hey, Guys have career years. Mm -hmm. 
and it's like this happens especially with like role like players where they have a career year and because it's not like an amazing year like he's not like an all-star that season people are like oh like he's just that good it's like no like average to below average players when they have a career year are above average and it's like that's as good as it's going to get with Richardson and like sure maybe you could have like you know another kind of like career year or close to it but like I just wouldn't bank on it or expect it I agree one thing that comes to my mind is three-point shooting is one of the least static most volatile variables in in a player every player is trying to hit every three and some years they hit 33 percent some years they hit 40 percent you know like so the three-point shooting could easily turn around or not i don't think he has any major issues with like his form or anything so there's no reason that he can't elevate his three-point shooting back to, to previous levels but the defense is concerning he, he posted one season with a strong defensive rating and then it's just gotten weaker and weaker every year to the point that, that he's now a negative defender according to the metrics and defense is one of the most static variables insofar as like for the most part like marcus smart's going to be a great defender every year you know like it, it, it's it's harder for defense to just fall off because it's so effort-based so my question is like why hasn't Richardson been a good defender for three seasons? And why should we think that he'll be a good defender again? It's a good question. It's a very good question. I mean, like when guys decline on defense, a lot of times the issue is they just, they're physically declining. And when does he have his best defensive season in terms of box plus minus his age 24 season? That's around the guy's physical primes. He's not a huge guy. Right. And they've, he's kind of been asked to cover. And that season was the one season he's classified as a small forward. Right. So maybe it was just like the heat identified the right matchups and were able to get him in those defensive situations. And maybe he's just not quite quick enough to cover guards anymore and not quite strong enough to cover forwards to make up for it. And so he's kind of in this in-between zone where like he there's a lot of guys that are like this where like they can cover multiple positions, but do you really want them to cover those positions? What I, what I was looking at with him that I thought was really interesting because apparently this is turning into the Josh Richardson podcast (laughs) um, is I was looking at his corner three percentages, right? He has gotten steadily worse at corner threes. Part of it is just sample size, right? The sample size has grown. But last season, he was at 29.2% on corner threes. And he's a career 39.2% shooter there, right? He was at 49.5% on shots that are 10 to 16 feet from the rim. And there's a chance that at three-point shooting kind of bounces up because he's in the corner and he starts hitting them at like a more normal rate. But like, the, the tough thing is, is that people go, oh, like this guy can like up his three point percentage if he's in the corner. And I'm like, that's true. But like if corner threes are valuable because you hit them more often, they're not more valuable in terms of like the points they generate. So like if he's not like an above average corner three player, he's not really like adding much. So if like he goes there and shoots like 37 percent on corner threes and takes a bunch of them and his three point field goal percentage goes up that's still like an offensive net negative compared to like what you would expect from like an average shooter there. I don't think he's worth talking about. And yet we've talked to him for like 10 minutes or something. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's move on. 
Um, okay, let's finish up with two questions about the Celtics. What's kind of a realistic expectation for this team slash, you know, what's their floor ceiling? And do we think they could like become a contender or is this like a play-in team? Like, let's kind of see what their tiers are. What, where do you, what do you think about their realistic expectations? Let me start it off this way. Uh, ceiling, 50 wins, floor, 40 wins, you know, like the things have to fall pretty poorly for them to go below 500, but I don't want to say it's impossible. So that's, that's my ceiling floor assessment. You know, in terms of my expectations, I, I like the over under just fine. Like I, I think about 47 wins seems like it, like a good guess for this team. I think that they're missing like probably a, a third offensive star to really elevate them into that like 55 win territory. I think they could use a guy and forgive me if I say this too often, but a guy that stirs the drink, a, a guy that looks to, to dime and, and can get his guys involved at an elite level, like a playmaker, an elite playmaker. I, I think there's a bit of an overlap between Tatum and Brown on offense. And I don't know if Schroeder's likely to compensate for that overlap. So I, I think we're going to see an ISO heavy offense again. I know they're getting a new head coach, but just by virtue of the construction of the roster, I think we're going to see a lot of ISO, a good defensive team that can't necessarily protect the rim for 48 minutes a night and a solid 47 win squad. I, I think Tatum and Brown drag you to that level, you know, single-handedly or double-handedly. What, what, what are your thoughts? I'm a bit more bullish on them. I really think this team, a realistic expectation is them to be above 47 wins. I think that to me is like kind of close to their floor. I see 45 probably being as their floor. And I think this team could easily exceed 50, 50 wins. I think like their ceiling is probably 55 to 55 wins. And like, that's a lot, but like they have a lot of good players. One of the benefits of their season going to hell last year was a lot of young guys got minutes and played larger roles than they expected, got valuable experience. So like, I think the rookies that like were playing in roles that they shouldn't have been will now be playing in roles they should be. And they're better for what happened last season. So this seems going to be deep and sure they, they lack one true playmaker, but if you have a good coach, which we still need to find out, but you have a good coach. They have smart players. You know, I think the NBA, people think too much. They go, they, people are like, they, everyone wants everyone to be a heliocentric offense. And it's like, maybe there's a way to be an elite offense without being dominated by one guy creating everything and setting everything up. And if you can get like Kemba, Schroeder, Horford, um, Schroeder, and one other guy out there, and you can say, hey, like just make the simple read, make the simple pass, keep the ball moving. I think like you can create plays through that without having one guy be a masterful creator. So I really think this team is like after the Nets and Bucks, I think they're right behind the they're right behind that tier in the Eastern Conference. I think they're gonna be really good. And I think people are going to go, oh shit, I, I forgot when Tatum isn't dealing with the after effects of a disease a virus that like has killed 70, 700,000 people in the U S over a million people, millions of people worldwide. We're not dealing with the after effects of that. He's 
a fucking superstar top 15 player. That's that's why I'm bullish on him. I really think I think they're gonna push Milwaukee for a two seed. Boom. Respect. Okay, yeah, one thing I want to comment on in that regard. It, it, I'm not advocating either for, for a heliocentric uh, setup f- for the Celtics. I mean, they already have too, too many good scorers for that. Just a player whose inclination is to set up teammates, you know, yeah. w- 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 would be helpful. But I, I, I see your point. They could, they could cobble together a strong attack w- with the pieces that they have. They're, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. Look, man, if they really need that, they can – easily go get Ricky Rubio at some point this season. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on to the next team. The Nets team. Did I say the next team or the Nets team? Cause we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to talk about some of their significant moves. And if I forgot one, please let me know. So over the off season, the Brooklyn Nets said, yeah, like we might have probably the best team in the NBA, maybe the best offense of all time. So let's just go add Patty Mills the greatest Australian isolation scorer maybe ever. Let's go add Paul Millsap. Let's go add LaMarcus Aldridge in the sense that he found the doctor that said you won't die if you play basketball, which I hope is the case. I hope, you know, he. this is good medical advice. They drafted Dayron Sharp to add some beef in the front court. They gave Durant an extension, which isn't really a significant addition, but it's always good to talk about Durant getting more money. They traded away DeAndre Jordan, so that's a significant loss. And most importantly, and I think this is like the key to the team, they signed David Duke. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Different David Duke. But I still think it's funny that the Brooklyn Nets have Kyrie Irving and David Duke. Who would have thought that those two guys would ever join forces to try to win an NBA championship? Man, l- let me let me interject for a second. You know, we can rag on Kyrie Irving and his third eye, free thinking all we like, but uh, give me Kyrie Irving's life philosophy over over David Duke's life philosophy any any day of the week. God, God, you got to really suck at a la David Duke to have someone very quickly be like, I would rather act like Kyrie Irving than that person. Oh. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> okay, so I think this is, this isn't even a question. Best team in the NBA, right? Yes. Championship favorites? Yes. Over under 55 and a half wins seems insane. Yeah. Do you think okay, let's just let's just get to the the the, the actual important question. Kyrie Irving, if he can't play home games, if he decides that he's like I don't give a fuck, I'm not getting any shots. This team's still like probably 61 team, right? Probably, yeah. Honestly, probably. Uh, this the Patty Mills signing is so nice for that reason because obviously Kyrie Irving is a whole lot better, but you still have Harden and Durant. So in place of Kyrie Irving, you just have like a really solid floor spacer slash defensive point guard. Uh, like he's such a plug and play guy. Um, you know, it'll be similar to to how it operates with Harden, where Harden really is effectively the point guard. And Mills, he'll look to space the floor. And instead of cooking like Kyrie, he'll just shoot when he's open. The offense should still hum. Yeah. I mean, people are, people are like talking like, oh, like, you know, Kyrie, like might mess up their chances. I'm like, look, Kyrie's the third best player on that team. If he's not there, you just bump up 
KD and Harden's usage by like two or three percent. It might literally make like in those minutes, it might make the team not better. But like, I, I don't think you lose anything if he's not there. That's like the reason why you get three stars is so you can rotate them in and out of the lineup. So for like 46 out of 48 minutes a night, you have two all NBA players on the court. And when you absolutely need it, you can have three. Um, you don't like, you don't need three stars to win minutes big. You just need two. The third one just makes it so you can win your minutes, basically the entire game. Exactly. It's kind of like, it reminds me of when an NBA player gets fined a hundred K it's like, yeah, that's a shit ton of money in, in real person terms, but uh, there's a diminishing return on what, what it means to the person. And, and it's nothing to them. It's like, they don't actually need Kyrie Irving that's that's the benefit of of having three superstars right it's like like what if they what if they also had Bradley Beal and Carl Anthony Towns on this team you know hypothetically and then I they mean, both got hurt and then they both got hurt but Kyrie was able to play all 82 games you'd be like okay who who cares that they lost two top 20 players you know yeah yeah I mean God, I mean, well, my counter argument is like, well, if they could have all of those players and there's no such thing as a salary cap. So like some other team probably would have like five studs or something as well. But I get, I take the point. I take the point. It's like, it's true. It's like you have three stars to like basically be insurance against one of them getting hurt and fuck. Like when you have a guy like Durant, it's almost insurance against both of them getting hurt. Um, yeah. As we saw in the playoffs. Now, it's true that this team's the only thing that could stop this team is, is availability and durability. And, you know, Durant's an injury risk. Uh, Kyrie's an anti-vaxxer. We're not and really an sure. injury risk. And an injury risk. And we don't know if we started to witness the beginning of the end for Harden last year or if that was an aberration. Here, here's hoping for the latter. But that that is the concern with this team. Outside of that, there's no stopping them. Yeah, so I think, I mean, they're, they're a team that's like, there's not a lot to really talk about outside of, I think this team will win over 60 games. I think whoever they play in the first two rounds of the playoffs, if they're relatively healthy, they don't even have to be hundred percent healthy. If they're relatively healthy, they're going to kill people. I mean, Paul Millsap is like the perfect veteran front court player. They, they have, they have everything, the smarts, toughness, shooting, ball handling. I mean, you could say they might not be a great defensive team, I would argue they're probably going to be pretty good and they're going to have the ability to clamp down, I think, well enough when they need to. Um, that that the- brings me to one thing that I, I want to bring up that I think is significant. I think it's time for this team to unleash Nick Claxton because Claxton has a chance to be their best defensive player. He's, he, he's a switchable big, which is obviously a pretty rare thing and really just a perfect fit for their system. And given how talented this team is, they can afford to screw around a little bit in the regular season. So I would say just give him the starting center role, let him play 30 minutes a night at the five and see how it goes. I have a funny feeling it's going to be their best look. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I think he will make them their most, give them the most balanced lineup in terms of uh, offense and defense. And if they want to just go straight up fucking supernova, you just play Paul Millsap at center. Hell yeah. And obviously LaMarcus Allridge is there too for, for whatever that ends up being worth. Great uh, bench unit. Great bench unit. Yeah, I, I love Millsap and, and he's also a perfect addition for this team. I and mean, Millsap's a guy that like 
if you're trying to win games, he, he he's a good addition. You know, he's a he's a floor raiser, uh, really solid plug and play, multi positional defender, solid spacing. They're gonna have some competition at the five, but I, I really think Nick Claxton deserves like a, a solid long look. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the best team since the Warriors. Yeah, it is. Um, really, it if, is, isn't it? I don't know if. Yeah, they're probably not better than those peak warriors, but outside of those peak warriors, like I, I would say the question is, could this team beat the like peak San Antonio Spurs or Miami Heat? I probably would say yes. I think they're better than both of those teams, like the LeBron James Miami Heat and the Kawhi Duncan Spurs. I think they're better than both those teams. Like on paper, they certainly are. Uh, whether that one Spurs that was the 2012 13 champions or 2013 14 champions, both those teams are insane. Uh, yes, they, they, they might build a beautiful game their way around the, the, this Nets attack. You know, it's hard to say, but on paper, this team is by far better than either of those teams. So, what? So, do you think like ex- excluding the, 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 the Golden State Warriors dynasty, this is probably the best team since? God, is it the best team since the Jordan Bulls? Uh, I, I was going to say Shaq and Kobe. I think this team destroyed Shaq and Kobe. I just think the league was kind of not there. There was no real super team back then. Like when you think about it, Shaq and Kobe, great one-two punch. But this team has like three top 15, top 20 players. That team had one top one player and Kobe was like top 25 and got better each season. But like, Right. Like now, I mean, this is always the dilemma with like inter era comparisons, right? Because that, that yeah. Lakers team is super antiquated. Obviously their, their, their first option was the low block and the second option was the mid range. Uh, I, I wonder if Shaq could give whoever the Nets run at the five 40 and 20 a night, right? Like just dunk after dunk after dunk. Yeah. But I mean, Kobe would probably have to change his shot diet the team overall would have to shoot more threes, obviously, but they would be equipped to do that. They had a stretch four in Robert Horry. Maybe I'm a little higher on those Shaq Kobe Lakers teams. I, I, I think they're some of the better teams we've seen, but it, this team is in rare historical company. We can agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was just thinking they would, they would beat them or they're better. It's just because like Shaq was the best player in the league. People think Durant's the best player in the league and Harden was, is better now than Kobe was at that time. Like, I don't give a, like Kobe stands come at me, like, fuck off. Like Kobe wasn't a top five player in the league back then. He maybe got to that point and I would say that's fine, but he wasn't there at least for the first two seasons of that three Pete. Maybe you could do some mental gymnastics and say he was third championship, but like there, and then they have Kyrie who's better than any of those guys. Like, that's just kind of like how I view it. It's like, there haven't been a lot of teams that have had like three top 15, top 20 players in the league at the same time so i think we touched on the brooklyn nets they're basically their only competition right now is history and winning that championship if they win this cha- a championship they'll go down as one of the best teams of the last 25 30 years um which is i think was their fucking was their plan um i think it's everyone's plan to try to build a team like that let's move off of them and talk about your hometown bunny ears hometown team the toronto raptors um you, you live so you live in toronto have you been to their stadium oh yeah i went to about a dozen raptors games i i, I was at uh game seven 
Brooklyn Nets, Toronto Raptors, uh, overtime, Nets win, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. It, it was it was it was amazing to be honest. <laughs> that must yeah. have been do you okay? So since you're a Rockets fan, but you're Canadian, do you like like torturing Raptors fans? Like is like and poking them? No, I I wouldn't say that. I get frustrated with my Raptor fans friends like when they're good because they always overrate them throughout the DeRozan era. My guys always thought they had a really good chance to win the championship and it, and it frustrated me. I, I, but when the Raptors are down, I don't tend to pick on them. It, like I, maybe I'm a sore loser, but, but a gracious winner, you know, I guess that's, I guess that's fair. I mean, I, I do find, you know, what I do find frustrating in, in modern fandom is the like art, like, you have to be crazy delusional about how good our team is and how good our players are. I hate it. It's like, no, like I want to live in the real world and have realistic expectations. And I'm like, I think Bradley Beal is great, but like, there's a reason he doesn't make, he's had trouble making all NBA teams. He's maybe not one of the top 15 players because his defense is suspect. As a Rockets fan, the element of that that frustrates me the most is the Christian Wood trade conversation because you get these fans who are like, why does everybody say we should trade Christian Wood? Like he's, he's one of the best centers in the league. It's ridiculous. Like he actually wants to be here. Like, dude, he averaged like what? 22 points or something on the worst team in the league last year. Like I, I, I like Christian Wood. I think he's a really good NBA player. I think he's a fringe all-star that'll probably never make the cut, but he's not untradeable. Like let's, let's try to exist in reality here. Yeah, no, the Christian Wood thing always bugs me because I'm like, the reason why you trade Christian Wood isn't bec- is because Christian Wood's contract is so good and valuable to a contending team because it's small and he's so much better than that contract. You can get a ton back for him. That's the argument for trading Christian Wood. It has nothing to do with, oh, like he's not actually that good. It's like, no, he is really good but his contract is so valuable to a contending team that it just makes a mil, a billion sense, a billion senses in the world um, <laughs> to trade him because, you know, the Rockets aren't going to be good. And by the time they might start being good, you're going to have to give them a max contract. And guess what? I don't know if I want to be the team that gives Christian Wood a max contract and maybe, maybe he'll end up being worth it. But if I'm the Rockets, it's like, let's be real. We're not going to be good for another five years. So like what, like Christian Wood isn't probably going to be like the reason we win a championship, but trading him might get us some assets that are. Let's exactly. not talk about it too much though. So <laughs> <this> yeah. Is- <laughs> my, any of my Raptors friends who might be listening to this are going to laugh at the fact that we started talking about the Rockets as soon as we started talking about the Raptors. So let, let, let's move on before I catch too much flack for that. Okay. <laughs> What so, do you what do you think about the uh, Raptors? I your 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 friends, your Canadian friends, they're gonna be like, uh, Nevin, that Nevin guy's a true Mountie. Because I really like the the Raptors. I really think they're gonna be a lot better than people think. I know they lost Kyle Lowry, who I think is great, but he was in decline last season. Goran Dragic is a good player. Like he and if he's leading your bench units, like they're they're gonna have a really strong team, 48 minutes. 
Gary Trent Jr. I put as like a significant move in that they trade for him in midseason and they they extended him. So like, you know, I think he's a solid two. I'm not a huge fan of his. And then they drafted Scotty Barnes, who I know you love. Um, I don't know how good he's going to be as a rookie, but I think he's one of those guys where he's going to be pretty good on defense. He's going to be a pretty good playmaker. And if you put him in the right sets and environment, his, his scoring will be fine enough. But I'm a big Fred Van Vliet fan, and I love, I love the stable of wing-slash-forward defenders this team has. I think Butcher is like a super underrated player. Like the dude's like a legitimate stretch five. He's good. They got um, Precious Achua in the, the Lowry sign trade, which is like an underrated move because he's young and good. Look, the Raptors aren't going to have five shitty players out there at any time. They're going to have five to four good NBA players, solid NBA players for 48 minutes a night. That wins you 40 plus games in the Eastern Conference. Let me let me say this. Well, first of all, that in the Eastern Conference caveat isn't quite what it used to be because the Eastern Conference is actually stacked this year, truly for the first time in a while. We'll we'll, we'll see how we'll see how it works out. But I, th- th- there's some better teams than there used to be. I love what the Raptors are building towards. I also love the uh, like just deep platoon of, of wings that can play, make, and handle, and pass and defend. I think that the, it's a visionary team right now, a very forward-thinking team, and, I, and I'm really excited for them in that regard. I just think this is bound to be a slightly transitional year. Uh, I think that losing their North Star and Kyle Lowry is going to end up being significant. Yeah, he was on the decline, but he, he was just a stabilizing force for this team, I think. And, and I think they're going to miss him in year one without him. And I just think that the product here is a little bit unfinished they don't really have a center period ken birch is the center but he's only like six nine uh he's a nice hustle player good role player i like him but he's not like a center center and neither is chris boucher who is just a little too thin he's a bit of a tweener I, i i like him coming off the bench playing both big man roles i also really like him but he's just not like your team's center you know you couple that with losing Lowry without really adding anything in, in his steed. I think that they're a little bit lacking on offensive players. I really don't like Pascal Siakam as a number one option. I don't really like Fred Van Fleet as a number one option. I love him as a number two option, but I don't think they have a number one option that's very credible. I just think it's a transition year. I, I mean, I, I think they're going to be a good team that's tough to beat on a, in a general basis, but I think they're going to miss the playoffs, and I think they're the worst team in the division. You know what? I'm just going to say this. The New York Knicks last season won, what, 41, 42 games with a four seed? How'd they do it? Piss poor offense without a true number one offense, number one option. Really good defense made the playoffs. I don't see why the Raptors can't be a slightly better offensive team. And I I don't see why the Raptors can't be just as good as a defensive team. And I think the concerns about their center – not being a true center in, in Butcher or whatever the pronunciation is, I think it's a little overblown because they have so much size, strength, and quickness on the wings that they can kind of make up for that, right? Like they've always done a good job against Joel Embiid, and it's not like they've like constantly had, you know, Hercules back there. It's because they fucking swarm him, and Embiid has shown that like 
if you want to shut him down, it's pretty easy. Send another guy at him, right? Like it's not easy, but like slowing him down isn't as hard as people think. You just, you send another guy at him and you hope and you, or you don't even hope, you know, he's not great at passing out of it. You're going to get a few turnovers and he's not going to kill you with the passing and you can, you have a decent shot. I also think you're underselling Goran Dragic is like a really good player. And I think him and Van Vliet, while together might not be a great defensive pairing in the backcourt, you don't necessarily need a true number one option when you have two really good second options. They kind of like turn each other into number one options when you go back and forth with it. And so I think they can have lineups that pack some punch. And I think they can have lineups that are super good defensively. I do agree that my, my one concern with them is that like, if Pascal Siakam doesn't improve a bit on offense and Ananobi doesn't improve a bit on offense, I do think there could be some issues where they're trying to win games like 103, 100. And I just don't know in the modern NBA, if you can consistently hold teams to around the hundred points. Yeah. And let me say this to your points as well. If OG Ananobi does take the step forward that a lot of people expect that he could be able to this year. And I actually, I will say, I do believe in OG Ananobi. I think there are layers to his game that, that we haven't seen yet. Then yes, they, they, they could be a playoff team for sure. It's also going to come down to where Scotty Barnes is in his development, for sure. If they want to give this guy, you know, this is the fourth overall pick in the draft. If they want to give him major minutes, it could come at the cost of team wins for the benefit of, of his long-term development. On the other hand, if they want to bring him in slowly and OG takes a big step forward and Pascal and Fred Van Fleet stagnate, then, yeah, they should make the playoffs. That's what's crazy about this division is we're talking about effectively every team in the division making the playoffs, unless you're higher on the Raptors than you are on the Knicks. I'm higher on the Raptors than I am the Knicks because fuck the Knicks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's one thing I wanted to touch on as well. Uh, In fairness to the Knicks, Julius Randle statistically was by far an acceptable number one NBA option for the entire regular season last year. I I agree with you that there probably were some smoke and mirrors. I I don't think he's going to ever have a season as good as the one he had last year, but you can't quite say they didn't have a real number one option because he was one for like 82 games. Well, they only, no, he was actually a number one option for 72 games and the five games in the playoffs game 73 to 77. He was what a number seven option maybe oh. he was barely an nba player but in, in terms of projecting regular season success yeah you know? no all right maybe i was a little hard hard on julius randall and he was quite good and i drafted him in fantasy basketball and in the group chat i said i said and this is this is why you should listen to me and not james is because i said in the group chat i said well after i drafted julius randall i was like julius randall 2021 all nba team before the season started. Did Julius Randle make an all-NBA team? I think so. I think so. He did. He did make an all-NBA team because I either spoke it into existence or my analysis was great, or I just went, you know, Thibodeau plays his guys a bunch of minutes and counting stats get you awards. Um, All right, let's, let's talk about, like, what we think the ceiling, floor, expectation kind of wins and tiers for the the Raptors and and then move on to the Sixers, who I think, are going to be a very fun team to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to say ceiling 47 wins floor 36 wins, a bit of a wider berth than I gave the Celtics. Uh, 
there are a lot of factors that that could change this team's outlook. Uh, most notably, Scotty Burns being ahead of his developmental schedule and OG Ananobi breaking out, I think are the two key things to watch for with this team. What do you think? I actually would say, I think, I think your ceiling of like 47 ish wins probably is, is about right. Um, you know, Nick nurse has traditionally kind of gotten his teams a few more wins than you would expect. So I think that's probably solid. I think their floor is actually like 25 wins and it's not because I don't think they're great. I just think, I think there's a chance that they go, you know what? We need another high draft pick and let's just go for it. This is a solid draft. We're not like, there's no point with the core that we have we can afford to kind of take this season off and still turn around next year and be really good. Let's just kind of, let's trade off Dragic. So let's try to get off Siakam. Let's like, you know, really go into development. So I could see them just going that route intentionally, not expecting it, but like, that's why I have their floor so low is that like, that would make a little sense to me, but I really, I agree. Like they're around the 47, 46 win team. And I think that's like definitely a, playoff team it should be a playoff team now now hold on uh i i wouldn't say i expect 47 wins that, that that's the ceiling I, I, to me yeah. i'm expecting like 39 wins probably but i will say this your point about the floor is persuasive i, I hadn't really thought about it that way the, the, this team could realistically choose to effectively tank so my floor is too high it's it's, it's more like 28 wins no your floor is perfect your floor is perfect if this team says we're going to try to win as many games as possible like right. there's there's a world where like they try to win as many games as possible and just shit doesn't work out and they win 36 games but i you know the motivation for these over-unders is like very important so this team fringe playoff contender definitely before we move off them i forgot to mention the raptors actually have the most valuable defensive player in the league, the Canadian border. He's the only guy that's going to be able to hold <laughs> Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, uh, Michael Porter Jr. to zero points a game. I'm just saying that's like one of you the know, most valuable defensive players in the league. That's funny. It's almost karmic because last year they had to play all the games in Tampa. They, they, you know, they were a road team the entire season. And now this year they get a little extra home court advantage. I like that. Yeah, you know, also, like, to me, it's, like, like how much, like, the stats that these guys produced last season, how much of it was, like, actually affected by the fact that they played no real home games? And if you just, like, bake in improvement to they get to live a normal-ish life, like, what? What's that worth? Like, you know, one or two points per game for each of their starters? Like, maybe this team's, like, going to be amazing. <laughs> it, I, I think it's a... Uh a moderate factor, but not a, not a massive factor necessarily, but not a zero factor either. It, yeah. It's interesting. It, it, it's, it's so unprecedented that we can't look to it and say like, well, you know, in, in, in 1999, uh, this team played all the games on the road and here's what happened the year after. Like this, you know, we haven't had a COVID-19 pandemic, so we can't really say. Yeah. 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 No, no, I agree. It's just, I, the Raptors, to me, I feel like just to a little bit are being undersold because people are looking at what they did last season. And I'm like, what they did last season, like, like was bullshit. Like, <laughs> like, that's kind of just how I feel. It's like, I remember the Saints after Hurricane Katrina played a home game against the Giants in New York. And the way the NBA treated the home game for them 
was they just like painted saints in the end zone and put their logo in the center. And they're like, go play the giants in New York for a home game. And the coach is like, it's not like, he was like, this is bullshit. So that's how I feel with the Raptors. And it's like, maybe we're just like, maybe the analytics and the data is garbage from last season for them anyways. It's po- it is possible. It's possible. All right. Let's move to America's most talked about team and America's new most dr- drama filled reality television show called the real basketball players of Philadelphia. <laughs> so let's just, let's just talk about their significant moves. I wrote lost Ben Simmons question mark and then comma Andre Drummond. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. This, the Sixers had maybe the worst off season of any team in the NBA. Yeah. They lost Dwight polite Howard. That's not, he was, that's not really a loss in my mind. He's a backup center at this stage. And they replaced him with Andre Drummond who might be better than him, but, eh. but really it's the Ben Simmons thing. They lost Ben Simmons. And even if he comes back, I don't know if they're, if he's really like his, his physical presence might be there, but I don't know if anything else will be there. Yeah. So <laughs> something I, first of all, when I was thinking about how I wanted to rank the, the Atlantic division teams, uh, I flip-flopped a lot on Philly. Part of me thought they were the second best team in the division. Part of me entertained the idea that they might be the worst team in the division. I, that's not where I landed, but I mean, it's they had the worst offseason in the league. I, th- I think you could say that without question. W- one thing that I really want to look out for for this team this year is will there be somewhat of a Ewing effect in regards to Ben Simmons's absence? Because I don't think there's a world where you can say they're a better team with nothing in Ben Simmons's place. Like that's not a thing. But in the short term, we have never seen. Uh, Joel Embiid with four guys in the starting lineup that can shoot threes, you know, like it, it, teams don't know how to game plan for it. Like you go double Embiid in the post and now suddenly no matter who you send a double, he's going to be able to kick it to somebody who can shoot uh, unless Thibel gets the starting nod, but he at least will shoot. And also I think it'll probably be Danny green again. So I wonder if, there will be a short term. Like I can see this team entering the season with no Simmons and no Simmons trade and rattling off like a super hot start because Embiid's averaging 30 and 15 and all the shooters are shooting because of the gravity that he commands on the low block. And everybody goes, Oh my God, this team's better without Ben Simmons. And then if they don't replace Simmons in the long run, it will eventually become apparent that no, they're not better without Simmons. But I think that's an interesting possibility to look out for you know i actually agree with you i think i don't know if they're gonna like rattle off a bunch of wins i think people are going to think on from the surface that the team is better without ben simmons and not getting anything back for him but like i think what what, what you'll find is that their offense might look better in the starting unit but their defense will be significantly worse and then i think their bench will suffer and one of the issues I have with Doc Rivers is he's still like, he, he kind of lives in that, like, you know, you know, decade to two decades ago where he's like starting five bench five. And I think losing Simmons really is going to like hurt that. So there's a chance that like 
he kind of like gets better about like reorganizing minutes. So he always has like productive players out there, but I could see their bench get their bench is going to be significantly worse. And that wasn't a strength. And I think that will hurt. I think the offense will look better, but I think their defense will take a step back. So it's like, how many points are you adding slash how many extra points are you giving up? And I think losing Ben Simmons really hurts their title chances because you're basically putting your entire defense in the hands of Joel Embiid. And that to me is a scary proposition because Embiid is like this team, this team has like one of the, like the widest floors and ceilings. I think of any team in the NBA Embiid is an injury risk. If he, if he gets hurt and misses, you know, like he normally does like close to 20 games every season and you don't have Ben Simmons or another guy that like, you know, is an all-star caliber player, that team, they, they might go five and 15 over those 20 games. Right. And like you're banking your entire defense on Joel Embiid. You're banking your entire offense on Joel Embiid. He's a guy who can't play big minutes, even when he's healthy. And he's, you know, he's got durability concerns. I just think they, I think they're a team that will look good without Ben Simmons because the Embiid units will look really, really good on offense. But I think everything else will become worse. And like, They'll they'll realize quickly if we want to win a championship, we can't put this much pressure on Embiid because like Embiid literally averages 30 minutes a night. There's going to be 18 minutes a night where Embiid is not on the court and the Sixers are going to be one of the worst teams in the league in, in those minutes. You're so right. Yeah. I mean, realistically, dude, over a 20 game stretch without Embiid, this team might go two and 18. Like they got nothing. Like I, I guess Maxi becomes their best player in Embiid's absence. No, Tobias Harris. We, we, we got we, like Tobias oh Harris God, is like Tobias a real Harris. NBA. He's like a real player, but like I just don't see him being able to like carry an offense and a defense. Oh, yeah. No, right? of course like, it is Tobias Harris, but. All right, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the Tobias Harris centric offense doesn't sound very optimistic either, does it? I mean, he's really yeah. Harris is an elite complementary player, in my opinion. It, I, I like his game. I think he is a really nice puzzle piece alongside Embiid, and for that matter, Simmons. But he's not much of an initiator. Uh, it's gonna look bad in Embiid's absence. You're right. And yeah. playmaking and playmaking. That's the other thing. People do not value playmaking. They're like, oh, there's all this spacing. And, and now there's all this spacing. Embiid's going to get the ball in the low block. He's going to kick it out to shooters. Guess what? Embiid's not actually good at doing that. Like, I know we go, oh, spacing, three-point shooting. He'll get doubled, and then he'll kick it out. I'm like, Embiid's never been good at that. Why do we suddenly think, now that Ben Simmons is gone, he's going to be like, oh, you know, I didn't really have to play make because Ben Simmons was doing that. But now that he's gone, I'm suddenly going to become great at something that I've shown no ability at. It's like people are kind of like pretend, like basically people pretend Ben Simmons was just this burden on offense and he didn't provide anything. They lost a serious playmaker. They lost a guy who helps push it in transition. I just don't know. Like, I don't know why people are acting like him not being there isn't a huge loss because everyone acknowledges he's a good player. You're, you're mostly right. The, the one thing that I would suggest is that kicking out of a double team on the low block is not a particularly difficult read. So hopefully Doc Rivers can hammer it into Embiid's head. Like in the absence of Simmons, the only way this offense is going to hum is if you kick it to the open shooter out of double teams. If Embiid can figure that out, 
they could be interesting with Embiid on the floor. And it's not a hard thing to figure out. But you're right that he hasn't really shown much of an interest in it to date. It's 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 not just like the doing it. It's the doing it. Like people act like kicking it out to shooters is something that you just tell someone to do and then it instantly works. It's like what makes it work is Embiid gets it and he kicks it out at the right time. Like he lets the double team come but not get too close, right? And he kicks it out and gives the guy the time and the spacing. You know, it's like, and like, that's the thing is that it's like, there's a timing component to it. There's like a feel component to it that Embiid really hasn't shown it too. It's like, I agree that he'll try to do that. And in theory, people are going to like, oh, it should work. And it might work a little bit, but it's, look, I think the Sixers half court offense is going to be better without Ben Simmons and, you know, four shooters around Embiid. I just think everything else about their team is going to be worse. An an interesting dynamic to me that you made me think about a a little while earlier is they actually have another elite defensive player in Matisse Thibel. The the entire defense doesn't have to fall on Embiid. Uh, Thibel is a stud. But the complication becomes Thibel's not a great shooter, and he doesn't really have very much of any offensive value at this point in his career. So you put Thibel out there, well, now you still don't have four shooters around and beat. But on the other hand, you, you put somebody else in there, and now, yes, the entire load of the defense falls on Embiid's shoulders. So it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky. Yeah, they, and then if you don't play Thibel, like if you play Thibel in the starting unit, the bench, I mean, the bench is not going to have anyone that can defend, right? Like you almost need to play Thibel with the bench because like, do you really want to like, be like, Hey, Andre Drummond, we need you to clean up for a lot of guys mistakes. <laughs> like that's not a, that's not a way to win those minutes is if you're banking on Andre Drummond rim protector clicking in year 10 or whatever it is. Yeah, dude. So, yeah, no. So, even in terms of the second unit's offense, like, what do you think is the starting? I think the starting backcourt here is Maxi at the point, Seth Curry at the two, yeah. and then Shake Milton is expected to carry the second unit's offense. Do you do you think that's viable? <laughs> no, they need to they need to get something back for Simmons. Mm-hmm. Like, if he's not going to be there, and he's not going to be there because. They like they both they both basically have done the. It, it, it's it's really frustrating the the whole Simmons thing to me because it's it's basically Philadelphia is like oh since you're not gonna show up we're gonna be dicks about this and Simmons whole point was you guys haven't wanted me here for the last year and a half that's why I'm not here and Philadelphia is treating him like oh so you don't want to be here so we're gonna get tough about this it's very frustrating because it just seems like. Hey, you know, you kind of let him know that you don't want him here all that bad, but they got to get something back for him. They got to get something back for him because they're literally like Embiid is like one bad fall from being done as like, uh, you know, championship caliber player. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that happens, the process officially fails and is complete and they are rebuilding team again you know they start thinking about mikey williams and lebron james jr and those kinds of things right i was just thinking as we talk about how this roster is constructed like should they just call sacramento back and say you know what we'll do harrison barnes buddy healed and a pig because suddenly now that's a pretty they're a pretty good team again i think that 
Harris, I think, is best at Harrison Barnes. Sorry, I think is best at the four. So I think you bring him off the bench to play both forward spots and have him play for six man of the year because he's good enough to do that. And then Heald slots in as, as a Seth Curry upgrade. And, you know, I, I think you're looking at a pretty solid team. Then a team with a lot less holes than the team that we're currently looking at. I think, and I think this is the right decision from Daryl Morey, is I think if he's going to lose Ben Simmons, he wants to get a player that if they lose Embiid for an extended period of time, they still have a guy that they can like build an offense around or build a defense around. And that's why the Sacramento trade, they want De'Aaron Fox. They don't want, you know, I think, I think, I think in the aggregate, yeah, that like works out perfectly, but it's like, I get the, like the, I get the sense and I understand the motivation. If we're losing Ben Simmons, we need to get someone back that in Embiid's absence, we can focus and build a team through slash, you know, like run a team through. And I just don't see you being able to do that with those pieces. No. Yeah. So, well, okay. Well then, so then all, all they can do is sit Simmons, continue to sit Simmons. Well, I mean, Simmons is the one sitting, but, and, and, and just hope that the, the, the NBA's landscape changes and they can acquire one of the Blazers guards or I don't know what else Beal, you know, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, like I said, like, I really think Beal is going to be the, the best option. I mean, I like what the Wizards have done. I just, you know, I just don't know if he's, they're going to be there like around 500 probably this season if they're lucky. And I think Beal's going to go, oh, I could go play for the Sixers who look like they're me away from winning a championship you know, don't have to move that far. Like shit, you might not even have to like sell your house. You know, you're like, you're a train ride or like a short flight, or I mean, God forbid driving, you know, two and a half hours away from DC if you're in Philly. So like, I, I could just see that, but let's talk about tiers, realistic expectations, floor and ceiling with this team, because I think they're, they're pretty crazy in that regard. Um, I think we both agree. We don't like their off season, right? Um, yeah. their offseason has not gone well and it's their own damn fault um and I, I don't think we need to rehash how we feel about whether or not ben simmons is being a, a little baby or not because he's not being a little baby he's being a human yeah. <laughs> um we, we see eye to eye on that yeah i just you know uh, i I'm, I'm really i really don't like the and this happens too much in sports the he just needs to like toughen up what he needs to be able to handle the fans of the team he plays for hating him. Like he should be okay with those things. Like, Oh yes. He should be okay with society's flaws. Um. <laughs> Dude. I, I got to interject there. Yeah. I get some satisfaction from the fact that these fucking Philly fans love booing their own players and they're, they're paying consequences for that because it's really shitty. Like, I, I don't understand. Like every other team pretty much it, like generally seeks to support their own players. I'm not saying nobody ever got booed on their home floor before, but it's usually a pretty high bar for that happening. And I think, I, I hope there's a culture change in Philly where they go, Hey, let's support our team because he's saying that it's a big part of the reason why he wants out. And I can't blame him. I think I said this before, but you know, as a child, most was probably fantasized about playing in the NBA and I damn sure didn't picture myself getting booed by my own fans. Yeah. No, no one. No, here's the thing. No one, no one goes, man, you know, I want to make it to the NBA and I just want my, 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 
the, the fans of the team I play for to fucking hate me and boo yeah. me every time I touch the ball. Like, yeah, that's what I want. Like, that's some yeah. like that's some weird stuff. Like, you, and you, you're doing you're doing sex with leather and knives if you think that way. <laughs> exactly, man. It's like, look, we want these guys to like play for the fans, right? Like, it's about the fans. It's like, well, okay, you're not giving me much to play for, man. You know, I'll, I'll go somewhere where where I'll get cheered. I'd like to get cheered half the year. Yeah, and I love I love the whole the whole he needs to come back to help his trade value if he really wants to get traded. It's like, guys, you booing him and like practically running him out of town is part of the reason why his trade value is down. <laughs> like, do you not like yep. realize that like that plays a factor in it? It's not teams in the league aren't like, you know what? I would have traded for Ben Simmons, but because he didn't dunk it in the playoffs and passed it instead of taking that dunk. I don't want them anymore. Like that's, that's not how the, these guys operate, but let's, let's talk about some realistic expectations. Actually, there are no realistic expectations with this team nope. because there's like, there's just, you don't really know what this team is going to look like. And you don't know if Embiid's going to be healthy. You don't know if Simmons is going to get traded for current production or future production. Let's just go with floor and ceiling because their yeah. over under is at 51 and a half. You taking the over, the under, what's the floor, what's the ceiling? I, I'm taking the under because I think there's just too much uncertainty to, to really bank on 50-plus wins for this team. But I will say the ceiling is probably 55 wins. They do still have Joel Embiid. And th- that ceiling pretty much assumes that they end up getting something of value for Simmons, whatever that is. And the floor is probably 40 wins, man. Well, I mean, with Embiid's health, the floor is probably 25 wins because uh, if on opening night he, he goes out for the year, you know, like worst case scenario, they are fucked. But assuming a, a modicum of health for Embiid, I think the floor is 40 wins. I'm scared about Embiid's health if I'm the Sixers for one pretty substantial reason. Dude apparently tore his meniscus in the playoffs and then kept playing. Didn't hear anything about surgery. Didn't hear about, oh, he needs to rehab. It was just kind of like, oh, he fucked up his meniscus. It'll be fine. You know, like there's, there's part of me that wonders if like this is a ticking time bomb. Um, it feels like a ticking time bomb, yeah. And that, like, the knee needs to be dealt with at some point in the next 24 months. And maybe they're hoping they get it, they get a championship before that and they can trade for Damian Lillard before that. I would say, like, you know, their, their ceiling, if they were to trade for Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal in the next two weeks, 60 wins. If they don't, if they can't, and Embiid, you know, hurt. And also, people don't take this into account. Embiid took such a jump on offense, such a jump as a shooter and his efficiency from different parts of the court. There's a real chance he regresses a little bit. Not that he becomes suddenly a bad player, but that he's not quite as good as he was last year. And people are kind of just like, they do this thing where someone takes a jump and they're like, that's the new level. And they're going to stay there. If he takes a slight dip back on offense, like this team, even if he's relatively healthy throughout the season, they're what? They're, they're pro- at best a 51 team. Uh, I really think, I really think, you know, if they basically the Simmons saga doesn't turn into anything of value, I think their ceiling is 50 wins. And I think their floor is like one of the you know worst teams in the league. If Embiid misses the, the game, if it, they don't get something back for Simmons, the games that Embiid's not there, they're like 
you know, a 20% to 25% win team. Agreed. Without Embiid or Simmons, they're probably the worst team in the league. Just like almost any team with other two best players is probably the worst team in the league, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like Tobias Harris, like he's like, uh, like, you know, I was saying like Paul George is like the perfect guy to be like the second best player on offense and the second best player on defense. Tobias Harris is like, the, the step back for that where he's like the perfect guy to be the third best dude on offense and the third best guy on defense. But if you ask him to be like better than that, he's like all of a sudden miscast. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I can't really dribble actually. <laughs> like that's uh, that's the problem here. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on to the Knicks, man, because the Sixers are just a, a headache. The two, two massive unknown variables uh, in their two best players. Okay. The New York Knicks. Knickerbockers. Oh, so their significant moves in terms of additions would be signing Evan Fournier and signing Kemba Walker. They did extend Julius Randle and they did extend Derrick Rose or re-sign Derrick Rose, but they were there last year. And so I, I don't see those as being, you know, those aren't changing the outcome of this team uh, for based what they did last year. Do we like their offseason? Barely. Like I, I feel like it's like it, it, it. Words I would use to describe it are acceptable, maybe even mediocre, uh, passable. You know, I, I don't think they blew up the league or anything, and, and nor do they probably expect that they did. But I think they got a little bit better. But I think you and I both agree that there's a very real possibility that last year's Julius Randall doesn't show up, and if that happens, it's not going to matter that they added Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier at all. Yeah, unless like Kemba Walker is back to like Charlotte Kemba Walker and you have him for eight million, which I mean, if it if it that's the case, then they had the best offseason in the NBA. Um yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say honestly, there's two ways to look at their offseason. There's the did they make this team better? And I don't think they really did all that much. Like I think they held serve in terms of they added talent to probably offset some of the, the losses and performance they're going to have this season, just because you can't expect Randall to like stay that good or you shouldn't because he, the one thing is when you see guys who win like most improved player this late into their career as Randall, you know what that season normally is a career season. Yeah. Julius Randall probably had a career year last year, not saying he's not a good player, but I'm saying like you shouldn't expect him to repeat that. If he does, Great for him. That extension they gave him probably is one of the better extensions. But I, I just, I don't think anyone in the league sees that as sticking completely. So there's a sense of like their offseason was okay. They held serve. But then there's the other part of it where it's like their offseason, I think, is pretty good if you're viewing the, this, basically their offseason and do we have movable assets? And I think they have a fair amount of movable assets. So like they're in a situation where maybe they're looking around the landscape and they're saying, you know, NBA superstar free agency isn't going to be as good as it used to be. A lot of these guys are extended. The way to get superstars now is you have to make trades. And if you want to make trades for big money contracts, you need contracts that match with players that are decently productive. So they did a good job there. I, I just think the Knicks did what I, I think they had a smart off season outside of having a good off season. They made their team marginally better, but they also made it so they can add real talent and become a contender when that becomes possible. 
I completely agree, man. Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's two ways to look at it. Uh, did they radically improve their short-term outlook? Probably not. But I do feel I agree with you. This team is itching to trade uh, RJ Barrett and some of those affordable contracts for a star player. That, that, that's just what they're waiting to do and hoping to do, I would think. And it, it's, it's very feasible. Like that, That's a pretty attractive package if Cat wants out of town or Beal wants out of town. Uh, or Dame wants out of town. You know, RJ Barrett looks the part of, in my opinion, probably a future all-star, probably not a future superstar, but yeah. I, I think he can make a couple of all-star teams. And you attach that to some nice solid contracts and, and, and a few draft picks, and you, you can probably land a disgruntled superstar. So a smart offseason, but, it, you know, in terms of talking about the 2021-22 season as they're currently constructed, uh, not really all that inspiring. Yeah. Um, you know, they're over under as 40 and a half wins. It seems about right. They seem to be about as good as they were last season. They, cause, and this is one of the things that I always find troublesome with teams is the Knicks are one of these teams where all of their good defensive players kind of suck at offense and all of their good offensive players kind of suck at defense. So it's like, if they want to have a good offensive unit, it has to be a bad defensive one. And if they want to have a good defensive unit, it kind of has to be a bad offensive unit. So it means like if they balance that, then they're just kind of average at both. It's like they don't have like a real avenue to have a lineup that's both a pretty good offensive and defensive lineup. And that's kind of what you need to go above like, you know, the 41, 500 you know, 500 win percentage threshold. And that's kind of why I think, you know, their over-under is pretty spot on. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I think the over-under is pretty spot on. You, you raise a good point. They've got a lot of one-way players that are effective in that one way. But, you know, you'd prefer to have a lot of two-way players. I do think one thing that we need to touch on is a, a big variable that could lead to unexpected improvement for this team is Mitchell Robinson. If he can put together a season where he plays something approximating a full slate of games or like, you know, 60 games, he could be a pretty big difference maker. Um, although Nerlens Noel is a very similar player, maybe a slightly worse rim protector and a slightly more versatile defender. But if Mitch can stay healthy, then they're going to have a really good defensive center on the floor for the entire game. So th th that's an interesting dynamic to watch, I think. Yeah, look... I think I think Knicks fans should be happy with their team winning basically the same number of games or close to it. And they probably won't be the four seed doing that again. But right now, like this is what the Knicks are what the Knicks are actually doing is they're like they're they're doing what the Nets did before they they signed Durant and Kyrie. They're saying we're a competently run organization in the largest market in the country. Yeah, exactly. Come, come play yeah. for us. Like, isn't that like pretty much all they're doing? They're like, and you know, they're like, we have movable contracts. So like we like, they're just creating an environment where they can get rid of this team and get a good one. Yeah. And that's what, that's what they should be doing. And I guess they're, they're going to make a determination next year as to whether Randall can be one of their three stars, right? If, if he can play like he played last regular season, he deserves another chance at a playoff run. Cause that was his first, playoff run i think ever and definitely as a featured option yeah. uh so he, he deserves another shot at that if he can be a, like a 23 10 and 6 guy again next 
year throughout the regular season. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, there, there's always a chance that RJ Barrett takes a pretty big jump in year three. Cause yeah. I mean, he, he was, he was so bad as a rookie. It was concerning. Um, but his, his second season in the league, he really eased some of those, like he's going to be a bust concern. So if he can keep adding, get, keep growing. I mean, I don't think he would be untouchable, but if he goes out and plays well this season, he might become untouchable. Just that like, he will be a good young player. And the thing is like, you're right. RJ Barrett could make a few all-star teams probably in his career, but he's only going to do that if he stays in New York. Cause if he gets traded to, you know, Portland, he's not making an all-star team. <laughs> you know, if, if you're not on the right team, like that's the reason why guys go to New York. If you're pretty good, like if you're just like their featured score, you make the all-star team. Yeah, you're right. And he he probably like he's not going to be a franchise player. I, I think it's extremely unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the basically the way I describe it is like if you can be a consistent all-star in a small market, you're a superstar. Because like that's the only way you're getting enough votes outside of your market to like make it onto those teams. Yeah. What what what's your ceiling and floor? Uh what are you, what 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 are your expectations in that regard? So I think they they have one of the smallest range of outcomes. I think like their 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 ceiling is probably like 45 wins. Um and I think their floor is like 40 39 wins and like, you know, I think they should be at, in the play-in tournament. Like I I think that they will be in the play-in tournament. I don't see them getting out of it. I don't see them dropping b- beneath it. I just think they're a play-in tournament team and that's like exactly where you want to be if you're the Knicks right now. Don't try to be better and don't try to be worse. It, it, you Right here in the middle is perfect for them. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, man. I was going to say 45 win ceiling, uh, 40 win floor. It, uh, they're, they're the anti-Sixers, right? They're, there's almost no discrepancy in the possible outcomes for this team. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see. Do we do we basically have let's see one two three four we have five teams from the Atlantic Division making the playoffs. You do. I I probably don't have the Raptors making the playoffs. If we count the play-in tournament as making the playoffs, it's really a ten-team sure. field. So maybe maybe. maybe oh yeah, I think I think in. the Raptors the Raptors to me are a play-in team. So yeah, if you count the play-in, then yeah, five teams. Well, here's the thing: the teams that make the play-in count the play in as making the playoffs um, <laughs> yeah but i don't <laughs> but here but us in the real world we don't honestly if you're in the play and you basically even if you're the seven or eight seed you didn't make the playoffs in my mind because you know you don't make the playoffs unless you avoid the play in yeah i i i i can get behind that philosophy as well it's like it, it, it's a whole separate thing uh i don't really like it but i guess i see the reasons why the league felt that they had to do it but at the end of the day what the league is actually doing is they're showing that there are only 20 teams at any one time that are viable NBA teams. And the bottom 10 teams are not viable NBA teams. And, you know, some of those teams probably like, you know, are fine, but for the most part, it's like, they they just, they really need to have two leagues, top 15 teams in one league, bottom 15 teams in another league, promotion, relegation, Cause I think like the, like, you know, you know, we like the rock, you like the rockets. I like the wizards, like the wizards would be fun as hell. They would be a, a team that goes back and forth. So either they're one of like the worst teams in the NBA and then they're like 
the best team in the ABA. Um, and they get promoted and relegated. It'd be a lot of fun. But that's yeah. neither here nor there. Do you have any uh, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? I will plug the Jane outs. I, I, I might as Again? well start plugging still, the Jane outs. You're, you're still doing that? <laughs> well, listen, let me tell you. I, I, I'm in the process of interviewing for a position with a uh, – with a publication called All Newfoundland and Labrador, but I don't think it's very relevant to our listeners. Uh, so other than that, I mean, I could plug my girlfriend's pretty cool, you know, shout out to Haley Clark, but uh, I, I, I like my friends. I don't, I don't have that much going on, man. You know, go, go check out the Janos in terms of uh, other basketball content for me. Okay, I'm going to plug, I guess, Space City Scoop. Uh, I'm working on something right now about Kevin Porter Jr., not Michael Porter Jr., uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, kind of about, like, what to expect from this season because Rockets fans think he is the next coming of James Harden. And since I'm not actually a Rockets fan, I live in, you know, a different galaxy, different solar system called reality. And he's probably not the next James Harden almost certainly and there's a good chance he, he'll never make an all-star team but I wanted to you know kind of look at what to expect from him next season and to kind of say like how much he needs to improve in certain areas and it's a lot in certain areas to become a kind of an all-star caliber player I also this is something I want to plug for my medium which uh I don't even know what's what's my medium account <laughs> um medium oh man uh so my medium account is medium at nevin.l.brown you should check it out i write about basketball soccer baseball sometimes but i'm writing something about the ben simmons and philadelphia 76ers debacle and how i believe not that ben simmons is faultless but that like he somehow basically been blamed for all of their problems which is just not true because as Jerry Krause correctly said to the ire of one of the world's most famous and likable sociopaths, Michael Jordan, he said, players alone don't win championships, organizations do. Which means players alone don't lose playoff series or championships, organizations do. And I think the organization in Philadelphia lost that playoff series and not Ben Simmons. So if you want to, you know, if you're a Ben Simmons apologist, you might like this. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for sticking around. Follow us on Twitter, like, subscribe, tell your friends and family about us. Um, hope you enjoyed it. James, I'll talk with you next week. Yes, sir. All right. Peace. Peace.